You're listening to Everyday Humanity. Welcome back to Everyday Humanity Listener. I am so happy to be with you again this week. Hi, it's me, it's Beth. And I have something really important to say before I turn this over to Dennis. I am sitting, if you can imagine, between two CEOs. So this has been an interesting sort of, I'd say off camera, but we don't record this with visuals. So it's been an interesting off mic conversation before we actually went live with this. But just so you know, this is our um, penultimate episode. I said that on purpose so I could get a look from Dennis. Like, what kind of words are you using? Uh, I didn't go to one of those <laughs> fancy schools. What the, does that word mean? The Ohio State University. It means the oh second to last episode in season two. So, hi, everybody. I'm going to turn it over to Dennis, who can introduce our other CEO in the room. Hi. hi thanks, Beth. <laughs> so happy to be with you again. How fun. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, I'm really excited about all of these podcasts, but today I'm really excited because um, our guest is Cheryl Shook, who is the CEO of Family Promise. And uh, I first met Cheryl, gosh, 10 years ago now. And um, at that time, I was the VP of Programs at Mel Trotter, and Cheryl was the Executive Director at Family Promise at that time. And um, instantly when we met in meeting in a meeting, we realized that there was so much in common. We were trying to work for the same thing. And we also realized that if we worked together, we could have a greater impact. And that began what probably no one could have predicted, but this beautiful 10-year relationship, not only between uh, Cheryl and I, but between our organizations. Um, so I'm so excited to welcome Cheryl in as a friend, as a colleague, as a, a mentor in so many ways, um, just to share a little bit about her and her journey and who she is. So Welcome, Cheryl. And um, the softball question, uh, tell us about you. And you can define um, that any way you want. Thanks for having me, you guys. It's so great to make space to find time to chat and hang with each other. We don't yeah. get to do that as much as we want. Um, so I have been in this crazy work um, almost the whole time with Dennis. I've been here. This is my 13th year. And we've been together about 10. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a lonely place before you showed up, Dennis. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it has been such a beautiful journey. And um, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned along the way is to sometimes just step out of the way and really let God take the wheel. Like we say that all the time, but not in a way where we watch for it every moment of every day. And so as we've come out of this crazy COVID space, um, and I think back, Beth asked me a question when we first got here. She said, does it seem like it's been that long when I told her this was my 13th year? And I said, yeah. I said, sometimes it feels like it's been four or five, and we're just charging forward, and we have so much we need to do. And at other times, I look back to what this looked like 13 years ago in our community, um, and it's so changed and so changed for the good. And the impact and the number of people that are being served is just mind-blowing compared to what it looked like then. So I'm so proud of that um, and so proud of the partnership. I think, you know, you said blending, our staffs are working together, but really it's like our staff together mm -hmm. collectively. It's kind of melded into almost one. I yeah. love this. It sounds like the definition of all kinds of relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Partnerships and collaboration and what it really means. So can we take a step back for anybody who's listening who perhaps doesn't know what Family Promise is. Can you just kind of describe who Family Promise is, oh. what y'all do, and just kind of what the whole mission is there? Yeah. 
So we kind of set in a niche of serving families with kids. Uh, Family Promise is part of a national organization. We have over 200 affiliates around the country. Um, We're all independently operated, but we have a great national office um, that helps with advocacy work in D.C. They help get new Family Promises going in communities that need more family shelter um, and then help set best practice and take the learnings from each of us around the country and make it easy for us to share those with each other. So um, while we're Family Promise of Grown Rapids, um, we have this incredible national entity and, and force behind us. Um, Family Promise has been here in Grand Rapids for 25 years. This is our 25th anniversary this year. Wow. And um, we were started by the churches here, by congregations in Grand Rapids, um, who recognized in the 90s that families in our community were becoming homeless. Um, one of the first times they had seen families with kids coming to their doors, the housing had changed, culture had changed. And so they made space in their congregations for families and and had an initiative called Making Room. And so that's how we were born. And I love that we were born out of the church. I love that we were born Mm -hmm. out of the community. I love that we were born out of a national collaboration Mm -hmm. and a local collaboration. Um, And that the staff came after the volunteers. The volunteers were there first and the staff came after. So those are some things about us. Um, We serve families with everything from prevention work as they're falling into a housing crisis, um, through shelter, through rehousing. Um, We do a significant body of stabilization and engagement work after families are rehomed into a new home or in a prevention space to prevent them from coming to shelter. Um, For up to two years working with families, we do significant early childhood work um, and lots of other um, work around social determinants of health for for all of the members of the family. So that's kind of our special space. And it's definitely centered around housing, a housing crisis or an experience of homelessness. But um, really, our our work is to try to mitigate the trauma and bring as many resources possible to really empower those families and those kids for a beautiful future. Wow, well, no wonder the giant overlap, right? Yeah, well, you know, and that's really interesting because, um, so I want to share a bit about, so Cheryl and I have alluded to this partnership, this collaboration really between our organizations. And what we did is we created something called Pathway Home. And I want to share just briefly sort of the Mel Trotter version of how that happened. And then I want to uh, ask Cheryl to share from her end what she was thinking. So what we were thinking is, um, you know, we had this space in our building and there were some empty rooms. And like God just laid on our heart. I can vividly remember one night that this happened to me personally. God just laid on our heart that there were so many families that were experiencing homelessness, kids who were experiencing homelessness, and yet we had some empty rooms. And and at that point, we weren't really working with families. We had some single women that uh, had children, and but they were all in our recovery program. And family homelessness, as Cheryl knows better than, than I, family homelessness for the most part doesn't have the same dynamics as other homelessness. There's usually not addiction. There's not a lot of these other uh, um, factors. So I can remember us feeling that way. And then we said, well, wait a minute, then why don't we be better stewards of our resources and let's carve out some sections of our building for family shelter. And um, a turning point, I think, in Mel Trotter's thinking was, no, we're not the experts. No, we don't have to be the experts. Let's offer what we have and let's find the experts. So we called Cheryl. We had a meeting with Cheryl and we said, hey, 
is there a need? Of course there's a need. We have this space. Let's do that. And I can remember saying to Cheryl, what if we pay you for you to send staff over here for six months to teach us how to case manage families? And Cheryl's like, sure, we can do that. So for six months, we're like paying Cheryl's staff to, to teach us how to case manage. And in my head, I'm going, wait a minute. Number one, why would we pay them when we can partner? And then my Dutchness kicked in and I'm like, number two, I can't keep paying for this. So at the end of six months, we're like, oh, why don't we make this permanent? And, you know, let's go from there. And uh, fast forward to today, we have two full floors for families. Uh, I even lo have lost track of how many staff Family Promise has working on site at Mel Trotter. And they are doing what they are great in, the, the case management and the moving families forward. And we support that. And it's become this beautiful, beautiful partnership. So that's the history of from my end. So from your end, what were you thinking like when we called and, hey, let's do this really weird partnership? Or I, I don't know, what was going through your mind? So I just remember Dennis calling one morning. We had been in a Heartside Neighborhood Collaboration Project mm -hmm. Leadership meeting together. And um, I was shouting from the mountaintops, as I still am, because we still have the same problem in our community, where we have a significant number of families on the street, a significant number of families staying in places they're not meant to stay, like their car or storage spaces or tents or garages. Um, and it's really difficult with family homelessness because they're unseen. It's one thing when you see people panhandling or they're out in um, a park where everyone sees them or it's affecting businesses. But families want to be hidden. They don't want their children taken away. So they intentionally hide. And it makes the problem really difficult to share with others. And so I was talking about it at this meeting and I was bringing numbers and I was showing this information coming from our system. And Dennis said to me afterwards, he said, this isn't right. He said, this just isn't right. He said, we need to tell more people. I'm like, you know, people know and we're still not getting the traction to do something about it. And Dennis walked away and, and as we were walking out, he said, that's going to change. He said, we have to change that. And so the very next morning, I'll never forget this, Dennis called and he mm -hmm. said, I got some space and there was some leadership change at Mel Trotter and, and Dennis was empowered to be in the space and say, I think I think we can do something with this space. So I was over there in 24 hours. We were walking the space. We were talking about what it might look like. And then we talked about what would a partnership look like. And we had some hurdles because like Dennis said, the thinking around family homelessness is very different. The needs around family homelessness is very different. So we had a lot of educating to do. We had to go to both of our boards. They had to be all in. Um, we collectively came up with our, hey, this is where Dennis and Cheryl are non-negotiable. And we've got to make it through this. This is how it's going to work well. And we did that. And we both were like, if we can do this, we can do just about anything. So we went into the <laughs> space and we're like, how do we brand this together? How do we train our staffs together? How do we market this together? How do we raise funds for this together? And really, it was difficult because nobody was doing that. While everybody said, who do you partner with or collaborate <laughs> with? Nothing was set up in a way that allowed a partnership like this to even apply for money. And we had some real hurdles. There were places where we're like, well, we don't do that. We don't allow you to MOU part of the work to someone else. And there were things, you know, coming from our lens we already used congregation space as our shelter space. And so volunteers already did a lot of the work. They did food. They did transportation. They did all of these things. So we weren't experts in any of that. Mel Chowder was. Mel Chowder had this great space. They also had a beautifully rich faith life inside the building. Um, they had lots of their own volunteers there engaging. They did amazing food, culinary-level food that I had had the privilege of eating. 
many, many clinics, other resources, um, great location, easy location for families. Um, so we're like, we both started saying, we are great at some things. How do we play to our strengths and really leverage those and make this beautiful opportunity for families? And like Dennis said, it was less than six months from that first phone call to we put staff on site inside of the building. Um, we put we came up with the name Pathway Home. We did a logo around Pathway Home that we still use today. We did signage around it. Um, it, it was just so beautiful. Um, we had staff. One of the best parts was we had staff in the early days. And I think back now knowing what I know, then I'm glad I didn't think of it then probably. <laughs> but you know, we just – our first staff member, Kelsey, I remember saying, you're going to go work at Mel Trotter. There's seven rooms on the fourth floor, and we're going to put families in there for shelter, and we're going to figure it out. She's like, okay. <laughs> and she just had the faith and yeah. the trust, and we all kind of stepped out in faith. And that's the thing, mm -hmm. I think, as a partner, um, we both were so committed to that. And we it's it's been a long partnership, and it hasn't all been perfect, but we have said 100% – this is what we're doing. We are going to make it the best. We're both committed to excellence and serving families well and solving the, the problem and the need. And so we've just never strayed from that. And it pushes us through a lot. Yeah. So, Beth, imagine, because you lead development at Mel Trotter, imagine the crazy CEO <laughs> walking into your office and saying, hey, so um, we're going to raise money for this new program with Family Promise, and uh, we need to send our donor list over to them. Um, and they'll probably send theirs over to us. And then um, when people send checks, we're going to have to split some of that check yeah. with them because um, they're our partners. Right? Mm -hmm. This just to share to your point, yep. this wasn't done. Yeah. Right? Like people Who are they going to mail it yeah. to? How's it going to? Who's going to open them? How's yeah. it going to work? How are we going to communicate it to them on what it's going to be used for? Yeah, and, and you know the the foundation of this all was, was really two things. One foundation was we both felt, and I think our organizations as well felt like God was calling us to do something greater and something different, mm -hmm. right? So there was a faith that that God was bigger than a discussion on which part of the check goes to which organization. Right. Right. And then this. But the second thing right tied to that was the trust between Cheryl and I uh, and our boards had to trust our relationship, our relationship because our boards didn't really know that. But we had to go, you know, at the end of the day, if I send my donor list to Cheryl, could she use this to harm Mel Trotter? She should. Well, do I trust her? OK, send the list. Right. And yeah. that's how we built it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also remember thinking um, as we were doing the work. Like in the beginning, we didn't have the budget for the extra staff we were going to need because there were going to be about 21 rooms that were coming on eventually. And Dennis said, well, I'm already paying staff for those floors, so I'll fund it for the first six months. You bring in the rest of the resources. We did a lot of um, housing mm -hmm. resources and financial assistance and other things. Um, and we brought volunteers together in the space. Our volunteer coordinators worked together on orientations and things. And then I said, I will make the commitment to go out and figure out a way to help get funding to get this off the ground, mm -hmm. to get this pilot going. And so we did. And we were able to flip it. And now money comes in from a couple location or a couple sources to be able to share that. And so we write the checks and Mel Trotter funds it through other things. We fund it through other things. But we have those joint partnerships that's really at the core of that shelter work. And for a nonprofit to have that kind of trust mm -hmm. and to step out in that kind of faith. And um, that's that's how you have to operate in a in a partnership. And it we often talk about it being like a marriage because you have <laughs> to have that trust that it's like, 
we are going to go through this life together. We're going to do this together. Um, and that's the level of commitment that we and now our teams have to each other. And yeah. I love seeing the beautiful relationships our teams have developed um, over the years. And even people who aren't at Family Promise or Mel Trotter anymore are still fast friends. And yeah. they do volunteering in life wow. together still. Wow. This whole thing, it's it, in my head as I hear you guys both speak, it's just where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. You know, that that's really mm-hmm. what just keeps over and over playing in my head. Like, we don't really know, mm-hmm. but there's a will that we have mm-hmm. because there's a very big need that exists and we'll figure it out. Yeah. Like, that's just what's going to happen. But I love the part that you referenced marriage. So anytime somebody throws me a softball, <laughs> here I go. Oh, good. I know. Um, but you mentioned it wasn't all roses mm-hmm. um, for those married folks out listening today. Um, talk to us a little bit about how that looked, right? Like, I, I think I heard some... You mean the, the family trotter meeting? Yes. The, the whisper of stories where perhaps, like, mom and dad were sort of, like, bringing the teams together going, all right, like, look, here's what's up. I mean, how did that look? This feel? is what? great, Cheryl. I you love it. Story. Well, you have to jump in, too, because it is, it is quite funny. So um, we had a point where... Um, you know, we were both of our organizations were growing. And so as leaders, we were trying to manage that. And sometimes when that happens, you know, communications and messaging and things don't always make it all the way down to the ground level team. So you have new staff and new training that happens. And so as that growth was happening, we were bringing more families in. We And, and when you do a program like that, it, it's always kind of innovation, right? Minimum viable product. You try it until you find something that doesn't work and then you tweak it. So when the communication lines break down, so do the relationships. And so we had so there was smoke, and we found there was fire behind the smoke. <laughs> and our staffs were really frustrated, and they were they they thought they had a vision of what this was supposed to look like, and they were two different visions. And so Dennis and I called each other, and we said, "Okay, we're going to bring our teams together. We're going to have a meeting in, in the park." We had a great agenda for the meeting. The two of us we hauled our chairs out from the mission across the street to the park sat there in a big circle and put our chairs down and we started going through like building rebuilding the vision sharing this and we went around the circle and everybody talked and we laughed a lot during that meeting and just that common communication and understanding opened so many doors but i think the big thing was i'll never forget Dennis saying look he said, Cheryl often says this to me. It's like a marriage. He's like, so mom and dad aren't getting divorced. He's like, it's not going to happen. It's going to be like this. So we have to figure out how to make this work. So now we're flipping the meeting to the problem solving, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're going to say, how does this work? What could this look like? And um, everybody pushed back a little bit. And he looked over at me and he said, I didn't think really that they heard the part about we're not getting divorced. <laughs> and at that point, everybody just started laughing and they're like, okay. And they just stopped and flipped on their brains. And we solved so many problems that day. I came home and typed up the notes. I found it in a folder just a couple months ago. Oh, wow. And there were so many new things. And mm-hmm. staff then went and implemented all that. And that's how they built trust with each other. Yeah. That's how they built relationship with each other. It was beautiful. It, it was. And, and they needed to hear from us. We needed to do two things. They needed to hear from us as leaders that, you know, <laughs> keep doing the analogy, right, that that we weren't getting divorced, yeah. that this, you know, we may not always get along, but we're in for the long haul. So they needed that. And then they needed us as leaders to create the space and to empower them to then move forward in a positive direction together. And that's what they did. You know, and, and I think you'd probably agree that was probably the biggest uh, turning point, I think, yeah. in our journey. Yep. Right. And it was so it was like looking back, it is so funny because I can still see the big circle in the park and I can see the looks on the faces. But but we needed to do it. Right. And it communicated something really, really important. That's really cool. So when you uncovered that list, Mm -hmm. um, were things just 
so apparent to you, like, wow, have things changed since that time? Completely. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Because the work has changed so much. You know, with COVID happening, especially um, and when we started our collaboration, the average length of stay in shelter was 23 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had had it as low two years before that as 19 days. So people were coming in very, very quick stays, very quick stints. And then as we started to see the economics of our community change, wages stayed pretty flat, cost of housing started to rise very quickly. This was in 2014 and 15. Um, And we were shouting from the mountaintops again, rents are going crazy. It's out of control. People aren't going to be able to afford this pretty soon. Interventions that we had weren't working as well anymore. They were taking longer, like rapid rehousing and things like that. And so what happens when families start staying in shelter longer is you get burnout, right? And so things, dynamics started to change. The cost of things changed. The work that people had to do changed. Um, And we also changed as we learned about how to do the work better, both of us in our national engagements with other partners. And so we paid more attention to domestic violence and we paid more attention to how people came in and out of the buildings and we brought more trauma-informed care to the work. And anytime our staff would go through something, they would share it. And anytime Mel Trotter's staff would go through training, they would share it. And so we leveraged each other's learnings for kind of this collective impact, this exponential Um, raising up of both of the teams, which ultimately raises the families up that we work with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the conversation changed very much over the years. And we're so incredibly focused on mitigating the trauma for the kids now in every way possible. We know that that's how we mitigate the lasting impacts of homelessness Mm -hmm. on the community long term. Mm -hmm. And so those conversations are even sparking new programming and new thinking right now around the work that we're doing together. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, this really is, I mean, we said this from the very beginning, this could be a model for the country, right, on how to come together. And, you know, when when people think about competition in business, when they think about a for-profit business, they naturally understand that business A wants to grab more market share from business B. And they will do anything they need to do to, to have that happen. And everybody goes, yeah, that's business. And then People go, well, that that doesn't happen in the nonprofit world. Well, yeah, actually it does, right? right? Because you have a, 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 the same pool of donors that all these nonprofits are trying to, uh, to draw from. And what I'm so humbled by and at the same time proud of with this partnership is that we actually said, um, hmm, maybe there's a new paradigm here. Maybe, maybe there's a paradigm where we say, um, coming together in this kind of relationship, this kind of partnership, this kind of collaboration could actually not harm either organization, but it could build it up. And in a couple of ways, one is, I think Shirley will agree, we saw the donor community rise up in support yeah. of this and actually tell us, yeah. this is a model. Every nonprofit yeah. should be doing this. But it also changes the mindset of when family promise succeeds – we celebrate. Right. And when Mel Trotter succeeds, Family Promise celebrates. Yeah. And it's not a, a, a sort of a, a manufactured thing. It's real because we understand that, that we now are invested in each other. And, and that, I think, is the model that could explode and should mm-hmm. explode. It should, right? I mean, a rising tide right, mm-hmm. raises all boats. And I think the thing from the donor community and the donor perspective is – that oftentimes when people hear, you know, you mentioned business A and, and business B in the for-profit mm-hmm. world, and that's, you know, the competition, the clear competition. Mm-hmm. In our world, uh, many times people will say, in fact, I just asked our team this recently, who's our competition, you guys? Mm-hmm. I purposely set them up. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, 
you know, other local folks that are doing the work that we're doing. I'm like, no, no, it is Apple. It is Amazon. Yeah. It is anybody <laughs> yeah. who is actually competing for our dollars, yep. right? There's yep. only so much to go around. And if we collaborate and do the work that is necessary, yep. that that's really what it's about. Yep. And, and you guys yep. just really are sharing and exemplified, continuing to. Right? Well, and it's like. interesting because Dennis said, you know, uh, and I mentioned earlier, a lot of funders weren't even set up to allow a collaboration to apply. <laughs> but right. not only that, but as a, as a strategic systems person, um, when I first entered this space, it, it still blows my mind today that this hasn't changed. We are expected as nonprofits to collaborate intensely, not cooperate, mm-hmm. not coordinate, but intensive collaboration so we don't waste resources, right? And coming from the business world, into the nonprofit space, I've never seen people do more with a dollar in my life or yeah. an hour in my life than people in nonprofit yes. do. It's insane. But the second piece is a lot of the funding systems are set up in a competitive way. So you look at everything from the federal government like HUD to our grantors to private philanthropy, it's competitive. Put all your grants in. We'll pick from a pool. And we don't even have a way for you to apply together, right? Right. Especially when we started. And so they want a collaborative system. They want a high-functioning system. And I have said this many times recently, like, build a Tesla nonprofits. Make it this phenomenal, really, really solve world hunger kind of a system (laughs) on a shoestring budget. And so we do. And we build this great model. And then everybody comes back and says, well, we all want to fund the steering wheel because that's strategic. It's not a Band-Aid, right? Somebody's got to find the rubber. Somebody's got to fund the electricity or the gas. So as we're starting to talk to our donors through our campaigns that we've collectively done and things like that, we're really pushing and challenging them to say, we need you to invest in these things that you so badly say you want us to do. It's producing amazing results. And you might think of it as a Band-Aid because, no, we haven't ended homelessness in Grand Rapids, but Band-Aids exist for a reason. They stop the blood right from bleeding out of you. They help you heal from the inside out so you don't have big scars. They help do things in a really healthy way. And so sometimes in the shelter world, we're really proud to be a Mm Band-Aid because that actually ends homelessness for a man or a woman or a child today. In the moment, their homelessness is gone because of that Mm Band-Aid. And so we have to look at it from the individual level, which is one of the reasons I think our partnership with Mel Trotter is so strong, because we both come at it from serving one person at a time, one family at a time. You see it in our taglines. We both have incredible faith that God guides this work. Mm-hmm. We step into it because he's really the one um, that's putting, opening the doors and putting people into our spaces. And so those fundamental beliefs in the here and now, along with good system work, along with good strategy, along with good collaboration, those two things are magic. Wow, that'll preach. I, I'm just going to be like, she was like, be done here. Um, you know, yeah. when you, wow, Cheryl, um, when you mentioned the Band-Aid, where again, my head often goes is I just analogies. I'm sort of this yeah. analogy kind of person. And it always, it just reminded me of what Dennis always says about Jesus came and and didn't just say, yeah. right, here's exactly what you need to do right, right. now. You know, right. this and this and this and this. And it's, I'm going to take care of exactly what your physical yeah. ailments are in this moment. In this moment. So that you can continue in on. this moment. So that the rest can continue mm-hmm. for the way that I made mm-hmm. you and shaped you and yes. the plans that I have for you. The so that those that things come to you. fruition. Yes. But in the meantime, we're going to stop the bleeding right yes. here. Like you're yes. hungry? Here. Here's a yeah. bite to eat. You need a shelter? Right. Here. Here you go. Right. You need some kind and, and loving mm-hmm. words? Yeah. Let me put you in community with people yeah. who care. And you need yeah. a promise. You need yes. a promise that it's going to be okay going forward. Right. You know? Yeah. Hope. Hope. Yeah. He didn't build our brains to function in that other space 
of crisis and trauma. He built our brains to function with hope and promise. That's right. Yeah. That's how he made us. And, and our job, our job is to fan those flames yeah. that are there. Yeah. Right. And to and to help guide and mold them. Right. So I want to kind of turn the page a little bit. So. Um, I've been finding that I'm asking this question not only in these podcasts, but but in other meetings that I have as well of leaders. And that is so being a leader is, is tough. And the higher you move up the organizational chart, um, the more that you um, make yourself vulnerable in terms of uh, the shots that you may take mm-hmm. or the criticisms or just the responsibility that you carry. You know, sometimes I'll say, man, most of my staff don't. They only know of my job what they see, and what they see, they kind of think my job's pretty sweet. <laughs> and what they don't know is what I was trying to deal with last night at ten o'clock, right? right? And I can't tell them. Right. So, so here's here's my question: as as a leader, as someone that shoulders so much responsibility, what gets you through? What guides you? What keeps you doing what you're mm-hmm. doing? Mm-hmm. So, for sure, my faith. You know, God stands there. And, I, and in this work, Dennis, I know Dennis and I have talked about this and he sees it too. It is like neon lights sometimes. Like you pray for something and it's like a big sign goes up and says, here it is. And there's an arrow pointing to it the next day. You're like, wow, answer prayer like that. You know, so that's part of it. It just continually brings me hope and peace that I know he's got my back and, and I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do. But the second, I think, is that um, – it is really difficult, and there's a lot that happens that people don't know happens, like mm-hmm. you said, and they don't know for a reason. And so I just really try to step back and say this isn't all on my shoulders. Um, the less of an expert I am, the more it opens up space if I'm vulnerable to bring other experts in to do it well. And so every time I'm feeling that stress of I have to figure this out. I have to bring the right things. I have to get this money. We have to keep the doors open, especially during COVID. I felt yes. like that. Um, we pivoted and had to go into non-congregant space for every all of the families. We had no idea how that was going to happen. But I was like, you know, I just know that there are other really smart people around me, like our partnership and like Dennis, that we're going to figure this out. And so the less of an expert I am, the more I make space for other experts to mm-hmm. step in. I think that's what brings me that comfort. I know I'm not in the work alone. And it lets me it lets me lead. It lets me keep my brain in a space where I can help problem solve and I can get creative um, and less in a space of fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Humility is what I hear. Yeah. And I see in, in both of you guys, you know, obviously I work with Dennis on a daily basis, but it's um, answering the question, what is mine to do? Right. You know, and so many times Dennis will say, I, I'm gifted in certain areas and other areas. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. But, but <laughs> a I, lot of areas, yeah. not so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but as I heard you speak, it's that humility mm-hmm. to say this is not mine to do and I don't have to do it just because I do have the three letters after my name. I am still made in God's image. I'm here mm-hmm. for a reason, for a time such mm-hmm. as this. And I will trust and put my faith in him that he has surrounded me mm-hmm. with other people who are gifted in different mm-hmm. areas. And that is really the definition of team mm-hmm. and collaborations. It's the best thing we can do is create the space. Like if we Mm -hmm. can set the table for our leadership teams and our partners in the community and our donor partners in the community to come in, if we can set the table that provides that trust and provides that steadfast partnership and collaboration, you create a space where people can really turn it on. They can really problem solve. They can be creative. They can vision. They can innovate. You just have to create the space for them. That's our job as leaders, really, I think. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of, because um, oftentimes I think like 
a lot of people of faith do, you look at a leadership example in Jesus, right? And there's this thing that Jesus said that um, you don't hear a lot of people talk about. And I think it relates to exactly what you two were just talking about. So Jesus at this one point is talking to his disciples and he looks at them and says, you will do greater things than I have done. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. So here's Jesus who like is creating meals out of nothing and he's healing people and he's like walking on water and he's saving doing all the world. this, saving the world, you know, these minor <laughs> things, um, right? And, and then he looks at the people that he is leading and he says, you're going to do greater things than I am. And what an, what an incredible example of leadership, right? So I find myself challenged to, to look at the people that work at Mel Trotter and to go, am I leading in such a way? This is exactly, I think, what you were saying, Cheryl. Am I leading in such a way that creates space for them to do greater things right. than me? Right. You know, and if Jesus, like, you know, yeah. king of the universe, um, if he's saying, yeah, you're, you're going to do greater things yeah. than me. What an example of leadership yeah. and what like a, 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 yeah. a responsibility we have yeah. as leaders, right? And it even starts with our families, yes. right? Like we have to believe that they're going to do greater things in meeting their dreams and hopes and solving their problems than we could ever imagine for them. And so then our teams come alongside of that and then we come alongside of our teams. So you have to really think of it completely ground level up, starting with the families. Mm -hmm. my, my teenage daughters tell me frequently that they already do greater <laughs> things than I do on a regular basis. So, they're right. Yeah, so Maybe they, I succeeded. They've I'm sprinted sure. by us already, yeah, for right. sure. As a former teenage girl, I can tell you that they're <laughs> onto something here. Um, Cheryl, what did you do before this? I heard you say that you came from the for-profit world. And just as I hear you so articulately speak, I don't know if you can put an L-Y in articulate, but um, <laughs> you were very articulate in your speech and just your thought process and systems. What, what's your background? So I spent time in the tech industry. So for my first career, a um, couple decades, I was in uh, hardware and software. I worked for a couple really large multinational corporations. Um, I helped in the, on the sales and marketing side. Um, and so we worked with, you know, national partners, distribution channels, all of those kinds of things. Um, worked with teams on product development um, and bringing new products to market. And then worked um, with two small startups in Palo Alto at the end. Mm -hmm. And both of those companies went public. So I really enjoyed the um innovative kind of entrepreneurial space. And I found that to, to be a space I really thrived in. And um, I learned a lot about systems work and a lot about collaboration and a lot about innovation. That industry moved really quickly while I was in it. It was kind of the wild, wild west of tech, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then that really, I think, prepped me as we moved back to West Michigan um, to say, how do I take those things I've learned? I was at a pivot point for me personally and really wanted to do something besides just focusing on new product development and making money. And how do we impact the community in a different way? Um, my, my dad was a social worker. My mom was a teacher. They gave back to their community in big ways. Um, and so they were really instrumental in helping me kind of set a vision for myself of how I might be able to take that business experience and bring it into the nonprofit space and, mm -hmm. and do good somewhere. Mm -hmm. I love that. A lot of parallel stories that I'm mm -hmm. familiar with. And, you know, uh, last week, I think it was, or yeah, uh, Mayor Bliss was yes. on. And, you know, I happen to have a certain affinity for strong yeah. women with a lot of opinions. Um, <laughs> go <laughs> figure. Great episode, right, right. right. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I asked her, too, about her childhood. And Dennis and I spoke afterwards, and I thought, we, di we just didn't know that about yeah. her. And yeah. what's so interesting to me is when you take time 
to get to know people, yeah. right? Their backstories, their yeah. formative years. You learn things in such a way you're like, wait, I only see you, right. you know, as the mayor of Grand Rapids. Right. That's how I see you, the yeah. lens from which I see. And I'm like, wait, tell me again, you want to have 10 kids, right? Right. And so that informs, though, that this right. work that we end up doing, it's all part mm-hmm. of God guiding our steps. Yeah. And, and when we're in it, we have no idea. We're like, yeah. what, can I just, you know, can I go back to Ohio State? I don't know. You know, like, yeah. you just don't know what you're doing. You Please don't, know don't what... go back to Ohio <laughs> State. No one should go back to Ohio State. <laughs> Stay oh, on this side oh, of the line. Cheryl's a little bit blue. Well, I've lived here long enough that you know my kid is at U of M imagine that what our Christmas look like I, my kid went to Michigan State it's the same oh, thing oh go green know. So, yes. you know speaking of powerful women um, I, w- I was struck just listening to you about um, one of the the myths around nonprofit leadership it, I don't think it exists as much today as it used to but but years ago, there used to be sort of this unspoken, usually unspoken belief that, well, people that run nonprofits couldn't make it in the business world. Right. And that might be true about me. But in this present company, I mean, Cheryl and Beth had very successful for-profit careers where they were doing amazing things and, and leading and doing this. And it's not about can you make it in one world or the other. Right. It's about how God has gifted you and then what he calls you to do in this season. So you were called out, both of you were called out of these incredibly successful careers to come here and use those gifts to make a different kind of impact. And so, I mean, for me, it's just an honor, honestly, to be in the room with you and to listen to your stories. So Cheryl, we would be remiss if we didn't give you a chance to brag a little bit on your family. You've got an amazing husband, Dean. You've got some beautiful adult children. So just like gloat, yeah. mama. Aww, that's so fun. <laughs> yeah, we don't get to do this very often, do I we? Know. Um, yeah, my kids are older now. It's kind of weird. They're grownups. They're adults. Um, my son is 30. He's an incredibly brilliant engineer, um, lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and just has this in- just wonderful group of friends and um, partner that he's with that just I- I'm so proud of seeing how they've turned out. My daughter is a um, teacher in Chicago Public Schools in the south side of Hyde Park. Um, she kind of took education and nonprofit and blended them together and um came out of the urban cohort program at Michigan State and has a passion for working with the kids that she works with. She's done beautiful work as well. So we couldn't be more proud of them. Um, My husband, Dean, has been in the medical field and pharmaceutical space for a long time. He also cares for many people and believes that a lot of the work he does and the products that he's worked with help save lives. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a theme in our family, I think. Um, but we, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to become a parent when your kids set sail on their own and you get to watch who they've become. Mm. Through tears. Through it tears. is. Yeah. Through tears. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's hard. And but broken hearts because yes. they're leaving. Because they yes. leave, right? Yeah. We celebrate it every moment though. Yeah. Um, and we, it's just a privilege to be able to stand on the sidelines and see it happen for sure. Very mm. much so. I, I always tell people too that, you know, um, nothing prepared me. Um, for the love that God had for me better than becoming a mom. And that was his gift to me, right? And and I never really understood that until Olivia, you know, all throughout um, her teenage years, I I would say things like, why is she not listening to me? I have these (laughs) rules for her and I've given her these rules because I love her and I want her to be safe and I know what's best for her, right? And then she'd blatantly disobey me. But in those moments when I teach people who think that they have sinned, right, Right. so badly, or they think that they've done something so wrong in their past that God just can't can't love them anymore, it's possible. I look back and I think, as much as I wanted to wring that girl's neck, <laughs> as much as I wanted to say, what is your deal right now? She's still perfect. <laughs> I could not have ever loved her any yeah. less. In fact, my love for her continues to grow. And I just think there's nothing that she could have done yeah. wrong enough yeah. 
to make me yeah. stop loving her. Yep. I'm like, oh, this is a story I got. I missed yeah. that in church growing up. But yep. here it is. Yay. Yep. Thank you yep. that it took me 40 plus years right. to learn it. But right. man, I'm never forgetting it now. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It and was so beautiful to spend time with you guys. It's been pleasure. you. Yeah. Pretty special. Yeah. Well, anything else, Dennis, that you would like to end with? I'm good. Look at that. Mic drop. You guys, thank you, as always, listeners, for being here. Cheryl, one more final thank you. Thank you so much for your inspiration and your leadership and everything you're doing in our community. We appreciate it. Thanks for including me. You guys are amazing. Yep. Talk to you guys next week. Thank you for joining us this week again on Everyday Humanity. 